Hello and welcome to I Want to Fight Araki, a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Close Analysis Podcast. I'm Thomas. And I'm Yandere-chan. <laughs> oh God, we're already we're already cringing right off the gate. And anyway, today we are covering Diamond is Unbreakable episodes 6, 7, 8, and 9. We got four episodes today. It's a, ch- it's a chunkster today. Um, so let's just dive into the summary. As Koichi rides around his new bicycle, which he receives as a present for high school, he accidentally runs over some sort of animal in a bag. A nearby onlooker named Tamami Kobayashi says that it isn't Koichi's fault and says that he'll take care of it for a small fee. Koichi is unsure if he wants to pay Tamami at first, so Tamami begins to say that it was his cat that was run over. As Tamami continues to pressure Koichi, suddenly a lock appears on Koichi's chest. Koichi begins to freak out, and while Tamami is surprised that Koichi can see his stand, he says that it'll make things easier. Tamami explains that his stand, the lock, embeds itself into a person's heart, and the more guilt a person feels, the heavier the lock becomes. Realizing Koichi is in trouble, an onlooking Josuke and Okuyasu come over to help out. Okuyasu, recognizing Tamami as bad news, punches him, which Tamami loses a tooth over after overreacting a bit. This places a lock on Okuyasu's chest, and Tamami tries to con money out of him too, before Josuke walks over to the bag and opens it, revealing a talking doll covered in jam. Josuke also uses Crazy Diamond's ability to heal Tamami's tooth, and Okuyasu and Koichi are freed from the lock. Tamami runs off, but not before pickpocketing 7,000 yen from Koichi. After school, Koichi arrives at his home only to discover Tamami sitting on the couch and talking with Koichi's mom. Tamami spins a yarn about how he accidentally swapped wallets with Koichi and that he wants his returned along with the claimed 500,000 yen inside. Tamami, quote, proves Koichi has his wallet by citing a receipt from a burger joint that had been slipped in earlier. This causes the lock to form on Koichi's mom and Koichi also discovers that it has attached itself to his sister as well. This sends Koichi into a rage, and after forcing his family outside the room with Tamami, he summons his his egg stand. The egg shatters, however, revealing a lizard-like stand with arms and wheels for legs known as Echoes. Tamami is initially disturbed, but when he notices that Echoes didn't seem to hurt him, he runs to attack Koichi. However, Koichi notices that the places where his stand punched Tamami are covered in what looked like manga sound effects. The sound effects begin to radiate punching sounds, which get on Tamami's nerves. Koichi continues to apply more sound effects, eventually crippling Tamami. In a last bid, Tamami slightly stabs himself and makes it appear as if Koichi did it. This causes the lock to grow on Koichi's family to the point where his mother's guilt is enough to want to kill herself. Koichi, to save his mother, shouts for his mother to believe in him and uses his stand to apply it as a sound effect. The constant repetition reminds Koichi's mother to believe in her son, and it frees her as well as her as Koichi's sister from the lock. Tamami begins to beg for forgiveness as Koichi has thoroughly beaten him and promises to become Koichi's slave moving forward. The next day, Tamami gives Josuke and Koichi a tip on another possible stand user, Toshikazu Hazamada, a schoolmate of theirs who apparently, after having an argument with a friend over the summer, used his stand to force his friend to gouge out his eye. After some investigating, Josuke and Koichi find a life-size wooden doll in Hazamada's locker, which suddenly morphs into an exact copy of Josuke. The stand, Surface, explains that not only 
Can it copy the look and voice of a person, but it can also force the copied person to mirror its actions? Surface uses this to make Josuke attack Koichi and Josuke stab out his own eye. Surface and Hazamata leave as Hazamata explains his plan to run Jotaro out of Morio, but it is revealed that Josuke was able to heal Koichi's wounds with Crazy Diamond, while Echoes was used to mimic a squelch sound to get Surface and Hazamata off their backs. Josuke and Koichi run to warn Jotaro, but discover that Surface and Hazamata beat them to the punch. On the way to the meetup, Hazamata is harassed by some bikers, which he and Surface attack, but just before Hazamata is going to cut out one of the bikers' tongues, Crazy Diamond throws a piece of glass at Hazamata, which Surface catches. Josuke uses Crazy Diamond to heal the glass, revealed to be a bottle, around Surface's hand, cutting it off as Josuke and Koichi hide away. They overhear Hazamata and Surface discussing how they need to meet Jotaro at Morio Station, and while Koichi is nervous about them being able to make it on time, Josuke says that he has a plan. As Hazamata and Surface run to the station, they hear a train coming and decide to take a detour, but discover that the train sounds were actually coming from Echoes. Josuke and Koichi manage to make it to Jotaro's location and inform, of, in, and inform him of the situation. Hazamata, in a last-ditch attempt, uses Surface to force Josuke to pickpocket a pen from Jotaro and use it to stab him in the head. However, just before Josuke can attack his nephew, the bikers from earlier attack Hazamata and hospitalize him, disabling Surface. As Hazamata is carted away, Josuke uses Crazy Diamond to destroy the wooden doll as Red Hot Chili Peppers watches on with the stand arrow in hand. As Josuke and Okuyasu walk around town, they compare notes on the Hazamata situation. After interrogating him, the two conclude that he probably doesn't know the identity of Red Hot Chili Peppers, but take note of the warning he gave them, that stand users are bound by fate and are drawn to each other. Just then, the two spot Koichi at a cafe and go over to say hi before a girl sits at Koichi's table. Okuyasu recognizes her as Yukako Yamagishi, who confesses her love to Koichi. This shocks everyone, including Koichi. Koichi is unsure of how to respond, and Yukako freaks out and storms off, causing Okuyasu's jealousy to fizzle out. Koichi, rattled, takes a, tries to take a sip from his soda, but notices it filled with hair, confusing him even more. The next day, as Koichi is cleaning up a science lab, Yukako apologizes and asks Koichi if they can still be friends. Koichi agrees after some initial awkwardness, and Yukako reveals to have hand-knitted a sweater for Koichi, made a lucky charm, and even put together a lavish-looking lunch for the two to share. Yukako attempts to feed Koichi as Koichi panics about the outcomes, rejecting her, sending her into a rage once more, but accepting sending the wrong signals. Thankfully for Koichi, another female student comes in and orders Koichi to take out the trash, which he eagerly does. Later, Yukako confronts this student and manages to slip some of her hair follicles onto her. The follicles begin to grow, lighting themselves on fire, blinding the girl and muting her. Fortunately, just before the fire reaches the girl, Okuyasu saves her by cutting off her hair with the hand. Josuke, having correctly deduced that Yukako is a stand user, informs Koichi and the three decide to make a plan. Rather than straight out rejecting her, the boys decide to make Koichi seem like he has no future, which will lead to Yukako fall out, to fall out of love. Josuke and Okuyasu effectively spread rumors around the school to make it seem like Koichi is a thug, so the next day Koichi can confirm them somehow. Just as Koichi falls asleep, however, 
He is suddenly kidnapped and gagged by Yukako's ever-growing hair, made possible by her stand, Love Deluxe. Yukako knocks out Koichi and he wakes up in a seaside villa. Yukako reveals to have made a beautiful looking breakfast, but citing a failed English test, forces Koichi to answer questions to earn food, placing three boxes in front of him. Inside one of the box boxes is proper food, while the others contain barely edible garbage. Koichi is able to answer the first question right, but struggles with the second, leading Yukako to attempt to force feed him. Koichi tries to jump out the window, but is stopped by Love Deluxe, which had its hair embedded into Koichi's scalp. Yukako leaves, reminding Koichi that there will be no escape as the villa is only used in the summer and that she'll turn Koichi into the type of man who needs Yukako Yamagishi. As Josuke and Okuyasu begin their search for Koichi, Koichi is forced to answer more and more questions, even to use the bathroom. Yukako eventually says that she is working on an electric chair which will be used to punish wrong answers Koichi provides when dinner rolls around. Yukako leaves to get some olive oil, and Koichi deduces that she wouldn't leave Koichi alone, so she must be ordering it through a payphone. Koichi uses Echoes to find the payphone, to find the payphone, but realizes he doesn't have any money. When Yukako uses the phone, however, Koichi uses Echoes to dial Josuke's number. Josuke picks up the phone and is able to hear the ocean in the background before Yukako hangs up, giving him and Okuyasu a lead. Yukako storms back to the house as Koichi barricades himself inside. Koichi attempts to goad Yukako to break down the door, as Josuke would notice, but instead Yukako uses Love Deluxe to swing Koichi into the barricade, destroying it. Just as Koichi is about to defend himself with Echoes, it falls to the ground in a cocoon. Koichi begins to panic, thinking it to have died, but suddenly the shell around Echoes cracks, and it reemerges, this time as a biped, shorter, and with a sharp spear on the end of its tail. Yukako says that, the change, that this change is nothing, and presses her hand against the door, which sends her flying backwards, only managing to catch herself with Love Deluxe. Koichi examines the door and sees one of Echo's sound effects, Floosh. Koichi deduces this as Echo's new ability and dubs it Echo's Act 2. As Yukako walks back to the house, Josuke and Okuyasu exit a taxi and begin the hunt for Koichi. Koichi opens the door to Yukako while Yukako burns her hand on a railing thanks to Act thanks to Act 2, and enrages her even more. Yukaku uses Love Deluxe to tear apart the house, saying that this is Koichi's last chance to say that he loves her. He refuses, and Yukako attacks him, but finds another one of Act 2's sound effects on Koichi's back. This triggers an explosion, which sends Yukako flying and turns her hair white. Koichi runs to check on her, but discovers her to be alive. Yukako wraps her hair around Act 2 and attempts to strangle it so, it can, so she can kill Koichi. Koichi warns her to step away from the cliffside as, she, as he hears it about to fall, but Yukako refuses. She and Act 2 begin to plummet to the rocks below, but Koichi is able to use Act 2 to apply a boing-boing sound effect to the rocks, saving Yukako and sending her back up to the cliff. Josuke and Okuyasu run over to Koichi and notice Yukako in awe of Koichi, even more in love with him after he saved her life. The boys decide to run off as Yukako scares them, and the next day at school, Koichi receives a perfect grade on a test, a little unsure of how to feel after Yukako's study methods. End of episodes. Wah, wah. <laughs> Echoes Act 2, Electric Boogaloo. And there's going to be 
Oh, we need to we need to come up with a rhyming scheme for Act Three then. In that Let's case, Act Three, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> All right, so a lot of Koichi stuff in these episodes. My man, the best a boy, king. a tiny king. <laughs> he may he may be tiny, but he is powerful. Powerful of he's, heart. He's very powerful. He's very pure of heart. Not so much dumb of ass. He's he's smart. Yeah, he is. He's a reliable guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You can always count on my man, Coochie. (laughs) You can always count on that guy. There's nothing better than a reliable Coochie, you know? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Also, I'm very glad that I'm not sure if the name of the Moriocho radio guy was ever mentioned before, but now we know Kai Harada, the legend, the man, the man, the legend. Yeah, there's like quite a number of musical references, like besides the stands just packed into these episodes, like Koichi's dog, I think is named Police, which, you know, <laughs> obviously the police is a band. A um, weird name for a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Also, right. like Yukako's question of like that was just about Prince, and I was like, they yeah, even had like well. we, we even got like anime Prince for a second, and I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> they even drew Prince, which I just I just love. It fills exactly. me with so much serotonin, and I don't know why. I'm not even a, I'm not really even really a fan of Prince. <laughs> He's like kind of cool. I'll bop out to him occasionally, but not often. Yeah, I, I, I like Prince. Um, although I'm kind of surprised, as like a side note before we like really dive into things, I'm kind of surprised that there aren't more uh, Pink Floyd references in this part specifically, because like both Crazy Diamond and Echoes are references to Pink Floyd. Um, and like those are two of the main characters. Huh, yeah. But yeah, Pink I don't know. Pink Floyd. <laughs> we already have a lot of Prince. It's true. All right, so what not enough do you... Bowie either. All right, <laughs> <I'm done. laughs> it's true. It's true. Not um, what should we talk about? I feel like um, uh, we're going to be talking yeah. about like a lot of like little bits. Want to go sort of episode by episode? I don't know. Yeah, sure, we can do that. Um, so um, the the lock fight. Um, one thing so that I think so it's is, a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. It is, yeah. I think a, a recurrent theme with a lot of Koichi's fights is that uh, he usually like wins in like a non-traditional sort of way. Because um, like the the lock fight, he basically like annoys Tamami to death. Uh, is kind of what happens. Um, and then with the Yukako fight, he basically like saves her life which like even though like she she still is alive and like has her stand and everything uh she's just like so in love with him that like smitten yeah she's so smitten that she decides like yeah maybe i won't kill him (laughs) um yeah and i think i think that goes a long way i think uh well there's I, i got a few things to say about koichi one i think um the idea of Echo Echoes Act One and Act Two. Um, there's like a strong like graffiti theme, um, it, particularly like in the lock episode where like the street where like Koichi first meets Tamami is like covered with graffiti, and then sort of the way Echoes works, where it like 
places sound effects on a person is kind of like graffiti because they're very like colorful and things like that. And I was kind of thinking that like, you know, I think we said it once or twice before, but like Koichi's arc is basically like him, like learning self-confidence. Um, and so uh, having like graffiti, like I feel like graffiti is like a thing where it's like, um, you know, it's, it's against the law, it's against the law. And, you know, it's, but it's like, it's like a form of rebellion in a lot of ways. And, you know, and this is, it's kind of reflective of Koichi being like more rebellious and more confident, like as he, as he grows throughout the series. You could say he is making his mark on the world. Yeah, there you go. Oh, the other is definitely like a sign of rebellion, but it's also oftentimes very artful. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it's kind it's of like my... a, it's like sophisticated rebellion i would i would say yeah and uh one thing i kind of like is um i, I mean i mean now we can talk about this because like echoes is finally in the intro koichi is not just like standing awkwardly for for 30 seconds or whatever in the intro but um so when koichi unlocks echoes it shows up in the intro and um i really like the scene um it's like at the very end where like crazy diamond fixes a wall and then echoes it's like echoes as like the graffiti and then the hand like you know splits open the wall again um and it's just like i think uh i think that's like in a way you know sort of reflective of the arc where it's like like you were saying where like it is artistic but uh and like also like rebellious in a way and it's like the the three of them like it it's one of my favorite relationships honestly in the whole show is just like these three guys just like um hanging out and like having fun together it's like a very like genuine you know like hey like these are like high school guys hanging out um and it, it's it it creates a nice juxtaposition with like all the crazy stuff you know What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Just guys being dudes. <laughs> oh, I had a point. <laughs> where, where'd she go? Where did she go? Where did she come from? Where'd you go? Where'd you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Are we gonna have a, uh, why didn't Steel Ball Run have a stand called Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> so, so sad. <laughs> I had a point. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to stretch this out like we're making mozzarella here. Um okay I feel, like the graffiti, <laughs> I feel like the graffiti um in that sense where it's sort of like I don't know most of the time when I see graffiti I it's just my like personal thing I usually think it's pretty and I like it mm-hmm. I'm like geez that you know that cement wall would kind of suck without all the graffiti on it like I prefer walls with graffiti on it so I always thought of it as more of like a sophisticated and yet also incredibly ballsy way to rebel and mm-hmm. I feel like that sort of reflects our boys, TM, as in they're very, you know, they're still a bunch of like bastards who go and steal money from middle schoolers. <laughs> but at the same time, and also, you know, stealing your dad's wallet, but at the same right. time, they're also like, um, we're going to tr- like personally track down this serial killer who's murdering people and then beat his ass. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're dead. It's, it, it's such it's it's a stretch but it's i like it it's a good stretch no i think i think there there definitely is something there i mean um 
sophisticated rebellion, but also incredibly ballsy. It's the same sort of vibe. Yeah, I mean, I think um, as well, it's sort of like a like a youth sort of thing where um, it's like, like, you know, rebellious youth. And like, I mean, I don't want to get too far into it. Like, we'll save it for when we can like discuss Kira in in more depth. But um, I think another another duality that part four really has and really centralizes is the idea of like, you know, um, like youthful people versus like um sort of like middle age more so middle-aged people um because like this this is like the youngest cast we've cast we've had so far you know like um really like stardust crusaders it's like the only one who's like not an adult is um uh jotaro and kakyoin and they're 17 you know whereas like koichi josuke okuyasu they're all like a bit younger um and so you know it's like yeah i i think it's just something to keep in mind and i think as well um it sort of ties in with like the echoes graffiti thing one thing i think we have to talk about is actually uh is the hair uh on koichi is like they make this point of every time echoes grows or changes koichi has a different hairstyle my man got um, the Polnareff hair this time. Yeah, he's got the Polnareff hair after Act flat Two. Top, flat, flat top. Flat top. He's got like a like a Super Saiyan look. Um, when Act One shows up, um, top boys, how how we doing? <laughs> and, then he's, and then he starts. <laughs> God damn it! All right, sorry. <laughs> go. Keep going. Um. All right. So hold the, again. This is a little bit of a stretch, but like so, like. When we first see Koichi, it's like his hair is like very slicked back, like very like restrained in a lot of ways. Um, and then when um, Act One appears, you know, it gets a bit spikier. It gets a, it gets like kind of wild in a lot of ways, um, and like sort of you know not refined. But then when Act when Act Two shows up, Koichi deliberately like. Um, cuts his hair to be the the flat top like we were mentioning so you know it, it kind of is like like act zero is like um completely you know restrained not rebellious and then act one is like um very rebellious like you know just kind of like lashing out and like doing its own thing and then act two is like um sort of a a compromise in a way where it's like Koichi like still has this like you know rebellious spirit but it's like much more tempered much more specific um much more you know like something that he has control over and I think as well that kind of could tie in with like Echo's Act 2 is basically like Echo's Echo's Act 1's ability but like a lot more detailed and like nuanced I would say it's a healthier sort of control that he has over himself now, as well mm-hmm. as a more um, purposeful sort of rebellion. Yeah, definitely. Instead of just, you know, not not to say that he lashed out ever, really. Um, it's just more that he is more so, you know, creating what his purpose is and what he wants to do. Mm-hmm, and he's definitely. learning to, you know, which direction to go in and how to control it in the best way. Oh, Lord. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely, you know, you think about it like act one is like, it's basically just like white noise um, that it can just like cause other objects to sort of, you know, radiate or what have you. And act two is like sp specific use of sound effects for specific purposes. Um, can I go off about the art again? <laughs> yeah, go for it. All right. First of all, the, the road is like a lavender color oftentimes. Yeah. And of course, it still has like the double yellow line going through. But the fact that it's like a light purple and same with the sidewalk, which is like, which was like an even lighter purple. And they had like the detailed graffiti on the light purple sidewalk. I was like, bruh, mm -hmm. that's the good shit right there. Yeah, uh, it looks really like, nice. There's also like a million fantastic transitions in these episodes. Mm -hmm. Like, my God. Um, there's that what there's a one part where like someone opens a door and it just I think it was Jotaro opens a door and it immediately tra um, transitions into another thing. And then uh, when Koichi and Josuke do a, like do this high five, it like when they bring their hands away from each other, it transitions into a new scene. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, this is this is it right here. That's the, yeah, that's it. That's the best one. <laughs> You're right. There's a lot of good ones. Um <clears throat> In a way, if I can like theorize about this for a second, because like now we've sort of gotten a few more recurring characters where it's like, so like, you know, we, so, something sort of different is like, you know, in, in part three, like there were many like one off stand users, like stand users for one or two episodes, they beat up and like we never see them again. And in part four, it's quite different. We're going to see like most of the, you know, quote unquote one off stand users again. We've already sort of seen that with Tamami. Um, and so I think having, I mean, I, I first off, just like as a, as a film nerd, like I, I absolutely adore the transitions here. There's so many cool ones. One of my yeah, personal favorites in these episodes is like, I think it's um, uh, Josuke and Okuyasu are talking about, um, they're trying to find Koichi and they mentioned something about like a pay, they're talking about like a pay phone or something like that. And then um, it the the transition is like Koichi like looking up and like saying like oh wait a second it's like there's like a payphone I could use um, or you know it's something along those lines um, and I think it just it goes a long way to like making this town like feel um, you know very connected in a lot of ways like I think one of the things I said when we in the first Diamond is Unbreakable episode is that like. Morio, the town is like very much a character unto itself. Um, where and it, it, I, you know, I think having these sorts of the having the transitions like makes everything feel um, connected in like a meta in like a, a metaphysical way, um, and like having these recurring characters who you know aren't necessarily like main characters or Joe Bros or anything like that, but having these recurring characters um, continue to recur. Uh, just makes everything like feel really lived in and like it, the story is just as much about the town as it is you know Josuke or Jotaro or uh, Koichi or any of the other characters. Gosh this is why I love part four. It's just one of my favorite kinds of stories where it just is about the place as it is you know as much as it is about the people which mm -hmm. is why I really stand Twin Peaks if I haven't mentioned <laughs> it already. All right that's the, that's the last time I'm going to mention it this episode no more. 
Um, yeah. So let's see. I what have else? a small rant to go on. Very yeah, go for it. I want to talk about Tamami for a second. If we could shift it to, to that mm-hmm. absolute bastard that I absolutely hate. Um, I kind of I kind of like him occasionally, but mostly I hate him because like the episode with the cat, bro. Yeah. Even though it was a fake cat, it like it screwed with my head because <laughs> I, I really like cats. And when I when like I first watched it and thought it was a real cat in the bag, it like it messed with my head, bro. I'm not lying. <laughs> I hated that so much, and it probably messed with Koichi's head just as much. <laughs> <laughs> You, you were Koichi in that moment. I real I really felt for Koichi in that moment. Not gonna lie. <laughs> um, there's this whole Tamami says this like this one thing: sinners must pay for their sins. That is the rule of society. Like, okay, bro. Um, first of all, you're, you're the real sinner here. But yeah. We're not gonna talk about that. It's just just a, just a bit, just a good bit. Well, you know, I think uh, you are right. Um, And (laughs) one thing I was sort of thinking about is um, like Tamami's like the first time you see him, like his first outfit, he's got like, um, he's got like an American flag on the back of his shirt. And a Um, British flag. And a British flag. Yeah. And I was wondering if that was like, maybe like a, like a subtle jab, you know, like. Oh, I hope it was a subtle jab. The the character who's like a con man is like, um you know associated with the united states and uh the uk in terms of his design this whole damn country is a con man thomas <laughs> we're not at part seven though <laughs> <laughs> um no but uh yeah it's you are right i mean um and i think uh what's kind of funny about that line is like you know we did make this point it's like yeah like tamami like is kind of the big is is definitely the bigger you know quote-unquote sinner of the situation but he does get what's coming to him you know it's like koichi definitely makes him you know pay okay let me consult my notes (laughs) so my man my man kuchi we love him he goes through a surprising amount of development just in this episode i would say Mm -hmm. all right hold on give me a second (laughs) I didn't organize these today, which is why it's going to be kind of sad. I mean, it's going to be a little bit weird, but like Koichi's development is kind of like front loaded for a bit. Like we're probably not going to talk about Koichi in like a major, major sense for a little bit here, Um, which is, is kind of interesting. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily like a flaw with the series or anything, but just like something worth noting, I suppose. I just think it's, I, th- I think my main point with this episode and why I thought it was more interesting than I thought it would be is um, the fact that, you know, this is when his stand finally hatches and like does things mm-hmm. in that first episode. And I just think it's interesting that the first, his first stage of character development, when he gets his super saiyan hair and his actual stand that's no longer an egg has is re- like revolving around guilt. Yeah. I think is very interesting. I feel I feel like that's that's a part of the development is that he's throwing away his meaningless guilt and my man Tamami was just like I'm gonna make you feel bad for everything even things that you didn't do and it's just like gosh I, there's like 
I've been watching Fruits Basket a lot lately. <laughs> and like the main character, my queen Toru, like that's her entire personality is that she just feels guilty for everything, including stuff that she hasn't done. And you're just screaming at her the whole time, like, take care of your stuff, Stel, stop apologizing for everything. You deserve to take up space, goddammit. And it's cool. just Koichi's the type of like guy that. where Koichi's the type of guy where he apologizes too much and then apologizes for apologizing. <laughs> just like my queen toru that's just what it reminded me of because mm-hmm. i just i just binged the hell out of it recently and i'm like my man koichi j- <laughs> except he actually gets to throw away this guilt um yeah I'm you glad are he did you are right though it is a very it, 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 that is an interesting point um definitely um i feel like that's just a thing in life as well that you know araki was definitely playing off of as that's generally i feel like just with my own personal experience, the first step to becoming more confident in yourself is to like get rid of the most basic thing that you don't need. And that is, you should not be guilty about any, like that's one of the main things that hinders self-confidence, I would say, is being guilty about really anything, mm-hmm. especially, you know, especially if you really shouldn't feel bad about it. And my man Koichi felt bad about taking up space. I mean, he was just very like nervous all the time right i just got that vibe from him i mean i think um i think a way to think about it is like and you know i don't know this might sound a little bit weird but like i feel like people like that like you know who sort of you know are guilty and like apologize a whole bunch like tend to be like you know very quiet and like things like that um you know at least in my experience and so i think the idea that like echoes act one it its power is like making a whole bunch of noise, you know, that's kind of like, you know, get loud, get angry, you know, like, um, you're like, allowed don't... to take up space. God damn it. Yeah, exactly. Like you're allowed to make a noise and like be loud and things like that. You're allowed to be a human person that does things mm-hmm. and not apologize for things that you shouldn't apologize for. Exactly. Is teaching us very important life lessons. <laughs> Indeed. Um, speaking of, I, so um, with that, um, I might transition to the second episode that we're covering today, which is the, uh, uh, the yes, the tiny episode. incel. Yeah, the incel episode. Um, the tiny uh, incel. We have a tiny king and a tiny incel. <laughs> and Josuke, he's here too. And um, it's, I, I was thinking about this episode a little bit, actually, where it's like, um, it definitely, like, I don't know, like, I noticed more about it, like, on this watch through than the first time I watched it. Um, and it's kind of like, it's an interesting episode to put next to um, the the Tamami fight, because it's like, so we've just had Koichi, who has basically, like, been, um, you know, uh, he, he, like, has, you know, He's got Echoes Act 1. He's learned to, like, be loud and, like, be more confident and, you know, not uh, not be, like, such a doormat. And then, like, Hazamata is, like, kind of the reverse in some ways where um, he's, like, 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 you think about the nature of his stand surface is um, it's, you know, its power is to, um, like, mimic people, like, visually. So it's, like, very, like, hidden and, like, you know... Uh, um like quiet and things like that and like the way it sort of kills people is or you know hurts them 
is like through, you know, subterfuge, like by hiding and like, um, you know, sort of puppeting their actions. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, this is almost like what Koichi like, you know, could be like if he didn't have like positive influences in his life and or if, you know, he was just like less of a good natured person um, is like he could be Hazamata. And like there's they do pair like Koichi and Hazamata um, together in like little bits and pieces moving forward. Um, but I just I, I thought it was an interesting contrast to have these episodes uh, next to each other. It's the um, Hazamata is the anti Koichi. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. His, his evil twin. Even though they don't look alike, <laughs> <laughs> they're both short though, so <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> one of them is a legend, and the other one is an incel. I don't have a whole lot to Very say true. about Hazamata. He's just no, so that's bastard. okay. Um, yeah, I mean this. I would say, like, of all the episodes we're covering today, this is probably, like, the least, you know, significant. Um, I will say as well... What? I have no, one go ahead, thing go to ahead. say about Hazamata. There was that one bit where, first of all, Haz- <laughs> when Hazamata's stand became fake Josuke, I found it funny that his stand sort of had a mind of its own. Yeah, it's, it's it wasn't like It wasn't acting like Josuke, but it wasn't acting like him either, even though it looked like Josuke, which just really <laughs> threw me off, you know? It was kind of fun, you know? It was, and, and the fact that he was, like, very rude to his own stand just because it looked like someone that he was sort of very jealous of. Yeah. Like, he went on that very jealous rant, like, why can't the girls like me? Eh, I'm an incel. Yeah, that, it's kind of... <laughs> I, I just like, like bro maybe it's just like you have an I'm awful an personality yeah um i the one there is one part in here it's interesting where he's he implies that he used surface to um like you know copy um the girl that he has a crush on or whatever um and very uh, incel thing for him to do goddamn it, it's an extremely incel thing for him to do it's very gross um conceptually but he's i think one thing he says is like um like surface like was saying um you know all these things that just like pissed him off like we don't know what these things are but um and i was thinking i mean it's kind of like you know hazamata is like uh it's like a self-fulfilling prop or i don't know if it's the right term but like self-fulfilling prophecy like um where he's he like you know, sort of deliberately, like, places himself in scenarios and situations where, like, he's, like, is going to get pissed off. Like, he just, like, predisposes himself to being pissed off. And the fact that, like, you know, Surface is his stand, like, it's his soul-given form, you know? It's, like, like he deliberately, like, angers himself. Like, he he hates himself, basically. My man. <laughs> <laughs> it, which is like very incel behavior in, in that's in what Koichi could have been yeah okay and that's all I have to say I about that I'm <laughs> done with Asamata don't care about him that much yeah now time now, for now the time other for the, gross character <laughs> the main event <laughs> the other gross character gross in a different way but still gross yeah <laughs> gross in more of a scary way honestly um the the yukako episodes like really do scare me 
Um, they're, they're kind of alarming. Yeah, because a lot of it is like, I mean, it's kind of like funny in weird ways as well. Like it's a dark comedy almost. Oh yeah, because like Yukiko's like really kind of dumb, so it's just yeah. <laughs> um, the whole premise reminds me. I mean, I, I don't know if this was intentional, but the whole thing reminds me a lot of. Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever read or watched the movie um, Stephen King's uh, Misery, where it's the story not. about this guy who um, his, his he breaks his leg, uh, and he's a writer, and this woman who's like obsessed with his books um to like an unhealthy degree um like basically like kidnaps him and like keeps him uh in her cabin and like you know does all this like doting and things like that it's i mean really good movie and really good book but um yeah just the whole idea of like um dude dude trapped in a place like I'm, i'm not a claustrophobic person but um being trapped like anywhere you know big or small just that concept kind of freaks me out Um, i'm a little bit claustrophobic i see a cave i'd be like i'm not going in there (laughs) i refuse bro yeah but um i was trying to think about stuff to say about the yukako episodes because i do feel like these are significant um Oh, there's it, a little bit in the beginning of them with the fate motif, TM. Yeah, definitely. In which our our, our boy Hazumata, who is now had it uh, has has uh, blah blah blah. Who's uh, now Hazumata? Blah blah blah. Um, he's he got his ass beat and is in the hospital, and he's like, you know, stand users are just sort of drawn to each other like the red string of fate, and I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It is, um, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think we've seen this idea like brought up once or twice before, like with, you know, sort of Dio being able to like sense the the Stardust Crusaders and stuff like that. But I think it's kind of interesting that it's like, it's almost kind of like that idea is almost kind of twisted into um, like being applicable to like love, like romantic love. Um, And it, and like just how maybe it's like how toxic like that kind of belief can be or make people you know um where it's like yukako is like so just like obsessed and in love with koichi that like you know it 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 makes her violent and like she's like so so strongly believes in like this i mean she even says it at one point is like this red string of fate like there's like some sort of you know uh otherworldly thing that connects them when like in reality it's just like um they're both like you know fairly normal high school students it's just that yukako has like become obsessed and like you know it's it's twisted her um in in a lot of ways um yeah I haven't fully created a theory on the the stand user fate tie-in yet, but it's going to happen some at some point. Um, so instead, Yukako. Um, another little bit of, of my man Koichi's development is that when um, Yukako asks him out, he immediately is like, are you making fun of me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this boy has a very, still is severely lacking in self-confidence. He's yeah, they're both, he's uh, never been asked out before, but like 
after these episodes, my God. All right. <laughs> They're both extremely insecure in that um, cafe scene. Oh, yeah. I would say by the end of this fight, because of how Yukako literally kidnapped him, like by the end of the, um, uh, what, what was the fight? <laughs> the... <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, tell me by the one when, when he first gained his like actual stand and sort of, be, you know, started being more proactive and just doing things, you know, defending himself and defending his own honor. He wasn't really doing that too much physically, but he was doing it with words, you know, just right. like stand. But now his stand can actually do the noises that it makes, which sort of sh- like reflects how now he is, you know, actually instead of just. At this point, he couldn't use words because words wouldn't have cut it because, you know, actions speak loud. Yeah, yeah. And now he can actually do those things. So it's just him becoming more active in his own life. Mm, I like that, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And you could almost, like, tie that in with, like, you know, it's like a dark mirror in a way to um, Yukako where, like, um, you know, Yukako doesn't really, in her mind, she doesn't really do things for herself like she does everything for koichi you know um like her kidnapping him is uh a way for her to like you know make koichi a better person you know in in but if you think about it she's doing that but at the same time the reason that she wants to make koichi a better person is for him but also so that she can have a better person yeah, she wants I mean, a better man. So it's it's kind of like you can't really. I wouldn't say it's selfless, but I also wouldn't say it's selfish either. It's sort of like Koichi and her will both benefit. Not well, in her mind, will both benefit from it. Well, I think. I mean, I think there's like a couple of layers to this. Like, I think the layer that like Yukako like recognizes is like like she thinks that she's doing things um, selflessly, but. Of course, in reality, you know, she's a crazy stalker who is doing all these things selfishly, you know? Yeah, um, I think that's a good way to put it. She just doesn't know that she's actually being very selfish because if she did know, then Koichi wouldn't have been kidnapped by her. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> I think it's... It's kind of like, why hair as your stand, I guess? Because she's got pretty hair, I guess. Why not? Yeah, I was trying to sort of think about that. Um, I was thinking it might have something to do with like the the red string of fate. Like, you know, like kind of like a string is like kind of like a hair. I don't know. That's that's not that's not the most confident reading, I would say. But um, I mean, it's it's present. It's it's there. Yeah. I don't know why, like, Yukako is, like, I mean, she's, she, I would say she's more relevant to to the story than, um, like, Tamami or Hazumata, even though, like, yeah. all three of these characters recur. But, like, at the same time, like, she's not, Yukako is, like, not that important to the overall story. Like, there's, like, there's, there's another episode or episode arc where Yukako is, like, a major player. Um, but she really doesn't mean a ton to the story. So maybe, I don't know, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but like, maybe the idea is like, um, so like Josuke, Koichi, Okuyasu, Jotaro, like 
like all their motivations for, um, you know, fighting these, these stand users and whatnot are like selfless, like to protect, you know, Morio and things like that, protect innocent people. Um, and Yukako is like, she's like on the path to like understanding what it means to like be selfless. Um, and I think that's like, that's sort of why like um, her hair turns white at the end is like, Koichi like somehow some way has sort of communicated to her that like you know like like don't kidnap people like if you're in love with a person like don't kidnap them and force them to eat um asparagus wrapped in math notes (laughs) but um excuse me it was pages of the dictionary Thomas Um... uh (laughs) actually uh um but um and like you know she's like and, like, that's sort of the reason why she can't be, like, a major, major character is, like, she's still, like, growing and, like, learning what it is to be, like, you know, not bad, not evil. I will say I was quite pleased by the ending of that arc only because, well, for a couple reasons, because my man Koichi, you know, learned to be more of a person and to just mm-hmm. gain a lot more self-confidence. But also, he definitely taught Yukako something. She was like, oh... You know, maybe love isn't kidnapping someone. She literally just like <laughs> she's like she's like, you know what? I'm content as you know, even if he doesn't love me, I will love him from afar. And I'm like, you know what? Good for you. I'm glad you learned something out yeah. of this. Respect people's boundaries is basically the me- is the message. Um, I still do not vibe that it was implied that Koichi ended up with her in the end. Yeah, but, you know. I, I I would say that's definitely a misstep in these in Diamond is Unbreakable. I don't um, vibe with that, but I can you know I can sort of I I can't really look past it, but I can sort of understand why because she did get some sort of development and became significantly less crazy. But like I still wouldn't. Yeah, like like, like, like no P- even PSA if changed- from I Want to Fight Araki. Don't don't date your stalker. <laughs> um, I have personal experience with something similar and I'm just like, bro, you know what? W- with, with, from personal experience, just don't. <laughs> Not saying that I even dated the person. I just, just, just don't. If, if someone is like that to you, just, just cut off, just cut all ties with them. Yeah. But um, aside from that, um, yeah, I think it, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, I think I think saying no is like a really. It's like like being able to say no is like definitely like a a confident thing. And you know that that is kind of what happens here, where it's like Koichi is kind of like and he's like um and er and like you know oh like I don't want to like make her angry. Or, well, I would coerced into like I guess saying yes to him, and Yukako doesn't understand consent. Well, I think he knows not to say yes. Like, I'm talking, like, before he's he's kidnapped. Oh, um, yeah. Like, he knows not to say yes to this crazy woman, but at the same time, he like... He can't bring himself to say no. Exactly. And so, you know, him developing, like, act two and, like, being, you know... I mean, he, he straight up says, like, no, like, I, uh, I don't love you um, is, like, one of the things he says before... Um, act two blows her up. Um, he eats the words, I hate you, at her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yelling at her continuously. 
Um, and she when, doesn't get it. <laughs> which that scene is kind of terrifying because um, she's like, she's like, oh, I don't hear these words anymore. It's like, oh shit. Like, like she's like, so like, you know, lost any sense of like, you know, respect. Like all she has is like this love for Koichi that like, she can't even understand that like Koichi like hates her <laughs> in this situation. You know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's fr- these episodes freak are freaky. <laughs> Just to continue our PSA. <laughs> No means no, guys. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you say no, that means they have to back off. And if you say, I don't like you, that means they have to back off. All right, kids? This is just Indeed. life advice. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, go I will ahead. Continue. I, will, I will compliment um, Yukako's voice actor in the OG Japanese. Um, Yukako's voice actor in that is just, it's, she's so good. Yeah. She's very, because she just plays off a lot of the times as this incredibly soft vibed like innocent girl and she does a fantastic job at it but then could switch in a second to like this absolutely terrifying and aggressive like screaming crazy person Mm -hmm. and like gosh that that was like the terrifying part because I remember I was like watching it I'm like oh my god why are her vibes so soft now but that that was the scary part is because I like I liked her at certain points and I'm like, oh wait a minute, you gotta remember that she's like nuts. It's one of these things where it's like I feel like like maybe like if you were to show like a, a, a random person like a picture of like Yukako in certain scenes, they'd be like, Oh, like she's like the pretty or like, you know, m- maybe like the stuck-up character a little bit, but like, you know, like generally nice. And then of course you watch the show and she's like Oh no. An insane person, you know, it's like <laughs> um wants to murder the the, the man that she loves. <laughs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. I just <laughs> I like how that episode ended. I will just say that. Yes. Yeah, I mean And that's all I really have to say, honestly. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's I don't know. I think I'm about I, I'm I'm about out of uh, serious stuff. Sh- should we move on to silly stuff? Do you have oh, I have some silly stuff. All right. So, uh, real quick, while we're at least talking about the the last episodes, <laughs> um, the there well, there's two bits I like. The first bit is the very end where um, Koichi like aces his test or whatever. And it's like- Oh, that's good. You can basically just hear like the trumpets going like wah, wah, wah. Um, But the part that like really makes me crack up is they're brainstorming ideas as to how like Koichi, like how they can get Yukako to like not fall in love with Koichi anymore. And they come up with the idea of like, what if like Koichi just like, doesn't do hygiene for a while like okuyasu's like getting really into it he's like he's like you know like you (laughs) you don't brush your teeth you don't take a bath you wear the same pieces of underwear like he's getting like very um aggressive about it in a way he's having a good time he Mm -hmm. just wants to embarrass his friend (laughs) exactly I'm glad that the two bits that I had from those same episodes were actually two completely different bits. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, 
Kate Boingy Boing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Kate Boingy Boing. Just whatever, like, just when Yukako fell and she's like, oh no, she's going to get stabbed by a rock and die. But no, Boing. <laughs> it's just, it was the most, it was the funniest way possible he could have saved her life. And then they were oh. just like, oh, yes, here's another Morio landmark. Kate Boingy Boing. What's particularly funny about it is like, um, <laughs> The, it shows these like two sailors like who are watching this happen and they're like like did you see that and he's like i'm not drunk <laughs> i swear uh, that was a good bit real quick something i just wanted to add like is um and like it's a very minor point but like um so like they like for the description where it says it's it's gate boingy boing um like the the rumor that spreads around town is that a girl um tried to kill herself and then the 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 rocks you know boinged her to safety um and i feel like that's like like the scorned lover or whatever like you know killing themselves like jumping off a cliff like feels very um cliche in a way and so this is like kind of a subversion where it's like oh the rocks like actually like bounce her to safety and like you know she she was trying to kill her lover as opposed to herself. <laughs> it's, it's a good bit. It's a fantastic bit. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite funny moment, though, was um, when, the, like, the, the beginning conversation with Yukako and Koichi and Josuke and Okuyasu are just watching it happen. <laughs> and it's just, Yukako calls Koichi, he's like, oh, you're so cute and handsome and smart. And Josuke's like, she's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> and then Okiyasu just starts sobbing and saying, I'm, I'm, I look good too, right? I'm handsome too, man. <laughs> I love the vibes of just these kids messing around. And then like after it's revealed that Yukako is nuts, <laughs> Okiyasu says the best thing. He says, you know, I feel like a balloon that's just been deflated. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Um in a way, I can I can relate to Okuyasu uh, in that moment where he's like he's like wow really dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> um, I just love um, the vibes of just these these dudes, just a bunch of guys being dudes and messing around. Honest, I mean, I said this before, but like honestly, the the vibes between all three of the characters, um, fantastic. Uh, Josuke, Okuyasu, and Koichi is like. It's just so genuine. I, like, you know, I would just watch these guys like hang out, like, you know, without stand battles and stuff, you know, because they just have that kind of chemistry together. I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it. I'm like, you know what? This doesn't even need a plot. I just like watching them mess around. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of it. Sitcom. Any other funny? Yeah. The, that's Part another thing. Like, just be a sitcom. That's the other thing I was thinking is like that first Yukako episode where they're basically like, trying to figure out ways to like get her to not you know love him is basically like a sitcom plot like if you think about it where it's like you know the best friends and like um Shakespeare would love this exactly yeah <laughs> um much ado about nothing is my sh favorite Shakespeare play <laughs> <laughs> but yes that's that's the good stuff right there it's it was written in like the fit like the 14th, 15th century, but it's still like the funniest thing I've ever read. Hey, some stuff never goes out of style, you know? It, my man Shakespeare, he's funny. 
He's a funny man. He's he's a he's a he's a funny guy, that Shakespeare guy. Um I'm trying to think of other funny stuff um in these episodes. Oh, I feel I, like there's something that's like kind of funny but kind of dark is when yeah. like Koichi's mom um is like, I guess I have to kill myself now. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's just really like it's supposed to be dark, but it came off as so stupid. Cause like that just doesn't no one would make such a decision in that way with without with just in such a split second right in like, that situation you it's know so it's like dumb. <laughs> it was the, that was the dumbest fight it was so yeah stupid. <laughs> um, like oh i have to die now because my son stole money and i'm like bro any mom would just be like did you actually steal this money and if you <laughs> did she wouldn't feel ashamed she'd like smack you well yeah. that is a bit that tamami says where he's like oh, my parents would have, you know, never believed me if, like, I was in this situation. So it's like, you know, like... He's he's got some trauma. Like, if you're you're shitty to your kids, like, they're gonna be shitty in the future, you know? Um, And that's why Koichi turned out good. (laughs) Let's see, I'm trying to think what else. I felt like there was something in the Hazamata episodes. Well, I think just, like, every interaction that's had between, um like the surface version of Josuke and Hazamata is like pretty funny because they have this kind of like, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, I think as well, um, the, the bit where at the very end where the bikers like take out Hazamata and they say something like, you know, man, like that Josuke guy was like super nice. Like he healed all our wounds and stuff. Like Like, while they're beating the crap out of this kid. Um, it's fair. I love the bikers. Yeah. That guy was so nice. God damn. <laughs> We're going to beat up this guy because he was mean to him. Also two of the That's best. stand bikers. Also one of the, the, the kind of funny moments in the Diamond is Unbreakable out of context is when Josuke grabs the, the Jotaro's pen and he's like, why do I have this pen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord um well that's all i have yeah that's that's about all i had yeah all right so uh i guess uh if you want to see all the silly semi-serious stuff that i do uh you can follow me on twitter at thomas m brickman also do another podcast um it's called post game content um next time uh we are doing our games of the year games of 2020 so it's definitely a must-see episode must listen episode watch that um on wecb.fm uh post game content on um you know twitter instagram all the social medias uh for you know updates and stuff relating to that uh emily where can people find you on the internet bro guess what twitter that's where it is (laughs) at a humble goose the most humble of geese i am honk 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 indeed and uh if you want to I'll keep up honk with... to that brother <laughs> and if you want to keep up with uh all the news and funny <laughs> stuff uh that we you know relating to this show uh you can follow us at i want to fight ar1 on twitter and i want to fight our key on instagram with all that said we'll see you guys next time when we cover diamond is unbreakable episodes 10 11 and 12 we'll see you guys next time